The federal government is right now currently holding consultations into the formation of, well, it's a foreign agents registry. They call it a Federal Influence Registry Act, something that um, the United States and Australia have already created some time ago, in fact. Now, there's critics of this plan. Uh, they, they worry about uh, racist overtones, worries that it may lead us into repeating some of the travesties of Canadian history, things like internment camps. We had a guest on last week talking about how they fear it could be a slippery slope that will fall down and end up there. Um, a lot of people say that's that, that's that's hyperbolic at best. Uh, let's find out. We're going to chat with Charles Burton now. We've had Charles on the air uh, many times. He's a senior fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute and a former counsellor at the Canadian Embassy in Beijing. Charles, thank you for your time. Always appreciate it. Good to speak with you. This registry, you're, you're fully in support of it, right? Why do you think it's important that we create this foreign registry, as whatever they're going to call it? Well, I, I think the thing is that, you know, we have very strong indications from the documents that were leaked to the Globe and Mail and to Global News that, you know, our government has been apprised of some fairly serious malfeasance by the government of China. Um, and hasn't done anything about it, you know, no response. And there have been other, you know, over the years, other things like Chinese state harassment of Uyghurs and Tibetans in Canada and, you know, the government being reluctant to to uh, be seen as voting in the unanimous commons resolution defining what China's doing in, in Xinjiang as genocide against the Uyghurs and so on. So the question is, like, why? Like, how come, in, you know, intelligence agencies, security agencies send up information to the government and the government doesn't seem to act. And my feeling is that, you know, it probably in the bottom line, it comes down to Chinese influence um, on people in critical positions in the policy process uh, who are thinking, well, you know, after I leave the civil service or politics, maybe in my mid fifties, in the case of civil servants with their full pension there after 35 years of service, um, maybe I want to do something that will generate serious income for me. And, you know, the kinds of things that, that these people do is go on board memberships or receive inf- income from Canadian companies that do business with China or associated with law firms that represent Chinese firms or Canadian firms that do business with the Chinese regime. Or maybe they go into think tanks that are funded by China-associated forces, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so I think that your calculation might be maybe I just uh, don't identify myself as someone who is going to criticize Chinese government behavior in Canada right. and some rewards will derive to me uh, later on. So they just it's sort of a passive appeasement of China. It's not necessarily active. It's just that there's sort of a feeling that if you speak out against China, your post-political or post-civil service career options are going to be limited. Which, I mean... <laughs> That That is interference. I mean, it, no matter how you want to slice it, okay, well, we're not actually openly campaigning. Mean, it's influencing the way that our elected officials act. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the concern, is that when you see people going into um, China-related positions, you know, civil servants yeah. uh, who worked on the China file um, while they were in a position of public trust, end up, you know, working for, say, um, the Canada-China Business Council or the Asia-Pacific Foundation, you know, or organizations that have been um, quite sympathetic to PRC purposes in Canada, um, that wouldn't be hiring those people if 
they were identified as having championed defense of Canadian security and sovereignty against China, you know, you start you start to think, well, when they were in in political power, did that they have this in mind and that that shaped the way that they responded to concerns about China. I mean, you can't help but, but you know, try and make an association there. But there's no smoking gun and there's no evidence of right. anything illegal. I think it's just a matter of you need this law so that people who um, are, are receiving benefits from the Chinese state have to have to declare it transparently so we know if there's a conflict of interest or not. I mean, the example of Jean Charest, when in the course of his conservative leadership campaign, it turned out that he had been receiving a retainer from the Huawei company, quite a substantial amount of money over quite a long period of time. Well, we didn't know that when Mr. Charest was speaking in favor of the Huawei 5G and so on earlier on. If we'd known we had that piece of information, then you could have assessed his um, his uh, statements accordingly. You know, you could have taken that into account. So I think it's better that, that all this stuff be laid on the table. And I frankly don't see any reason why people shouldn't be transparent about where the money comes from. I think, you know, I, I just I just think that sunshine is the best disinfectant, and we need this legislation. And the fact the government is resisting it, and the fact that there's so many ridiculous things brought up, like oh, this is a return to the 1923 Chinese exclusion laws, you know, one of the most disgraceful pieces of legislation in Canadian history, or it will lead to internment camps like we had in the Second World War. I think that's really smoke and mirrors to to hide the real thing, which is there are people, you know, respected members of our our political elite who would be embarrassed if this legislation came in and they were obliged to tell us the truth about where their money comes from. If it's from a foreign source. Right. Yeah. How do our allies do this? Because like we said, I mean, you know, the, the, these registries already exist in, in Australia and in the United States. They managed to do it. So so how do they do it without avoiding internment camps and all the rest? I mean, can we not follow a template that's already been built? Absolutely. I mean, you know, and the, the British are in the final stages of getting legislation in. I mean, you know, there, there was no upsurge in anti-Asian racism in Australia when their Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme Act came into effect in 2018. And we have roughly the same system with the same protections for human rights and the same commitment to a society that doesn't tolerate racism. So why don't we just cut and paste the Australian Act? We could have the whole thing wrapped up by summer. Um, you mentioned the government's reluctant to act. I mean, some of this may be people who have long since left government, right? I mean, this is the thing. We've got conservative and um, liberal campaign officials testifying today. Like you say, this this could go across all areas of the political spectrum and go back some time and cause, like you say, a fair bit of embarrassment for some people. Absolutely. It is not about you know, one party or another. I mean, we see these phenomena of of officials going into things that that are associated with the interests of the Chinese government um, for many years. Um, some of them are quite forthcoming about it, like uh, former Foreign Minister John Baird, who, you know, took on a half-time job with a Chinese billionaire, is quite happy to tell you that that's, uh, that's what he's doing. But a lot of them are a bit more cagey about it. And you know, I think the reason that they don't that they don't want to declare this publicly is because they know that it it puts their reputation at risk. And so, you know, it's not as you say, it's not just the people who are in power now who may have decided to you know put a CSIS report into the back of a drawer and not act on it. 
it's also the prestige of senior people in the party who are now in retirement but still have influence that that may be shown to have not been entirely honest with the Canadian people about their commitment to Canada. I thought there was an interesting I mean if we're if we're if we're assuming and accepting the fact that foreign governments are working to influence Canadian politics and I think we are. Um shouldn't we assume that they're working to influence the work being done now to establish a way to stop that foreign interference? I mean, if if, if they're actually influential yeah. with our political system, they're going to be working to influence this process too, are they not? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what we're seeing is that there's a lot of backpedaling and panicking and throwing out this red herring of, of racism, which, you know, as you rightly point out, doesn't seem to have been a factor in any other country yeah. that has this kind of legislation that, you know, obviously that they're pulling on all the stops to try and, and stop this. And, you know, they, uh, the accusation of racism is something we're always going to take very seriously, you know, because uh, Canada's so committed to being a fair and open society. So, you know, it, it is effective to, to raise the specter of this, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense, because, you know, certainly I, I you know, as soon as I hear someone being accused of being racist, I'm not I'm going to take that extremely seriously. So it does have this impact and it could lead to the government saying, well, we can't do this act because, you know, it could have those racist connotations. We'll use other tools at our disposal. Previously, the argument had been we don't need the act because, um, you know, our agency security agencies are already fully in command of the situation and things going on in Australia could not possibly be happening in Canada. But I think these recent revelations of a serious issue of government non-action in the face of very serious allegations put forward by CSIS has, has made that argument uh, pretty much a, a dead letter. And so now they're trying something else to stop us from doing the right thing, which is to make sure that Canadian politicians are working for Canadian purposes and aren't um, aren't having divided loyalties because of possible benefits from foreign governments. I mean, the other thing is to find out what's a legitimate you know, attempt by a foreign power to influence Canada. I mean, nothing, you know, there's a lot, that's, that's why diplomats are here and what's illegitimate. Right. And I think it really comes down to money. I mean, you know, don't take the money from the foreign government. That's, that would be my message. All right. Well, we'll see if we get to the bottom of this. I know we'll continue to follow it along and uh, always appreciate your insight. Thank you, Charles.